When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But she's our guest, music journalist Kate French-Morris. If I'd thought about it, I never would have done it. I guess I would have let it slide. If I'd paid attention to what others were thinking, the heart inside me would have died. I was just too stubborn to ever be governed by enforced insanity. Someone had to reach for the rising star. I guess it was up to me. The Union Central is pulling up. The orchids are in bloom. I've only got me one good shirt left, and it smells of stale perfume. In 14 months, I've only smiled once, and I didn't do it consciously. Somebody's got to find your trail. I guess it must be up to me. Fabulous. Yeah. Are you just too stubborn to ever be governed by enforcement sanity? (laughs) (laughs) I'm extremely stubborn. Is that why, why did you choose it? I could have chosen so many. I think when you're a Bob listener, it kind of goes without saying that you're somebody who listens fairly intently to lyrics. But I think this, I mean, I could have chosen like any verse from this song as well. But I think these two kind of encapsulate pretty much everything that I love about Bob. The kind of humour and all the just like tantalising snippets of story that he just gives you just enough that you want to know more. And you're also like, what the hell's going on? Mm. And it's like slightly surreal. And there's that like poetic detail. And then just lines like, you know, in 14 months I've only smiled once and I didn't do it consciously, which is just great. Mm. Um, I think particularly given the last 14 months of our lives, that line's definitely come to me more than a few times. I know there's so many unanswered questions in that, as you say. And I wonder if someone has ever composed a list of unanswered questions in Bob Dylan's songs. Mm. Like, the you know, it smells of stale perfume, you know. There's a whole story there. Yeah, mm. it's almost like he's like doing creative writing prompts and you can just go off and write your own story from each verse. But um, And of course, this is an off-cut. This is a rejected track. This yeah. is the kind of stuff he can afford to throw away. Yeah, which know? is insane. Yeah. I mean, I only heard it, uh, like I only heard it for the first time in the last year and I yeah. was like, what the hell? Like, Oh, really? <laughs> so you heard it on More Blood, More Tracks? Yeah, I was just doing a kind of lockdown delve back into mm. stuff mm. and um, just kind of got my mind blown by this song. So yeah. did you go deep into that entire box set? No. 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 Not, not, no. <laughs> You're not insane. <laughs> well, I th- I got halted by this song, I think. Yeah. I just got stuck on this song for ages. And the, there's so many other good lines, like, you know, it frightens me the awful truth of how sweet life can be. Yeah. Well, let's ask a, a little bit about just about you. Mm-hmm. I know that you're... you're 29. I know that you're a music <laughs> journalist. Uh, not much more than that. So where... Are you from London? Yes. Yeah. Um, born in Hammersmith. Born on the same day as Bob. Not the year. Not the year, right. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) And Roseanne Cash, I think, has the same birthday as you both. Yes. And Queen Victoria. Oh, Um, okay. But yeah, born in London. Parents are both Dylan fans. Ah. They saw him play, I think, not long before I was born, actually, in Hammersmith. Oh, Hammersmith 91. Come back to that. (laughs) (laughs) So they just walked around the corner and saw Bob. Yeah. Why were you shuddering at that? That was my first, if if I forgot the, the date right... I saw Bob Dylan for the first time in Hammersmith in 1991 and for some reason continued to go and see him and buy his his music because it was shockingly poor. Oh, really? Yeah. But, you know, 
he got better. For, there was a whole point for about 16 years where I saw him in concert, and every time I saw him, he was better than the last time, and I thought, this cannot last. <laughs> but it happened because I started at you absolute start, rock yeah, bottom. the bottom. Yeah. Well, my parents left that detail out. But yeah, well, maybe, <laughs> I mean, you know, lots of people liked it. Lots of people tell me now that I was I was missing something great, but... Um, but when you're a Dylan fan, you're kind of, you, you pretty much sign up for life, although I, I fell off the train myself yeah. uh, once or twice. But did they... Did they play a lot of Dylan? I mean, normally you don't want to listen to the music that your parents Yeah, like I mean, they were pretty good. Like, I was kind of aware of him just because of the birthday thing, and mm. my parents loved that, um, so they were always telling me. And, <laughs> I mean, I had no idea who he was. I just thought maybe he was like a family friend or something. <laughs> Did you escape with um, no sort of Bob Dylan-connected middle name or anything? Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, they, were, they didn't shove him down my throat, but my dad plays guitar, and he one of the songs that he often played was, you know, Hey Mr. Tambourine Man. Um, so I was aware of mm. a lot of the songs. They were fans, but they didn't force it upon me. So it wasn't really until my 20s that I kind of really discovered him for myself. I was going to say, because that's when most people get into Dylan is in their 20s. Yeah. And so, I mean, what was the first Bob Dylan album that you bought on the day of release or, the, or, the, or at the time of release? I mean, that would have actually been Rough and Rowdy Ways. Wow. Um, so yeah. presumably you discovered him maybe through digital media rather than um, CDs? My mum had Time Out of Mind in the car in the 90s. So I guess I remember mm. that being around. And, yeah, like Nashville Skyline, things like that. But, yeah, it would have been iTunes. And it was actually getting into, um, not to talk about Springsteen too much, but um, getting into Springsteen when I was 20 and listening to his back catalogue and especially his first two albums yeah. are so Dylan-y when like yeah. you suddenly realise he was obsessed with Dylan and I yeah. think Dylan even said he listened to um, Greetings from Raspberry Park and was like um, this guy better be careful he's going to use up all the words in the English language um, <laughs> So, so did you get into Bruce before you seriously got into Bob? Was Bruce yeah, your sort of yeah, gateway Bruce, to Bob? Yeah, 100%. Mm. And doing all the kind of reading about Bruce and listening to, you know, him talking in interviews and, you know, his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of course. Bob. Mm. Um, yeah. He was definitely, more than my parents, he was probably the one that got me into Bob. Did, did you, you see that Rock and I think it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. concert in 95 when they play Forever Young together? Yeah, it's it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit awkward. Partly because Dylan's wearing this rather sort of odd gold oh, shirt. Oh, it's awful. It? Yeah, I it's know. like lame kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're such different personalities. Mm. I mean, they really are kind of like chalk and cheese, because right? mm. Bruce wants to communicate quite clearly yeah. that for that's number one. Mm. Yeah. And Bob likes to do the opposite. Yeah. I mean, just like with interviews, you know, Bruce is mm. really good at it. I would interview Bruce in a heartbeat because I know it wouldn't be excruciating, yeah. but with Bob, yeah, no. That, that's a whole different thing you have to train for, isn't it? Um, yeah. And if you watch them getting the, was it the Presidential Medal of Honour or whatever? Yeah. Freedom. Um, freedom. Something like that. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, you just see Bruce doing it. He's very kind of, you know, he, he knows how to handle mm. the situation. But Bob, it's like the most awkward bit of footage I've ever seen. It's like horrendous seeing yeah. Obama putting them, like, I... It just makes my skin crawl. He's, just, he's so doesn't want to be there and mm. doesn't even acknowledge Obama. It's like it's very it's, very strange. Yeah, I know. They asked it's, Obama afterwards, "What did Bob Dylan say to you?" You know, backstage, and he said nothing. He never said a word to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just this strange kind of skinny small man with a strange moustache. What are yeah, you doing? Kind of, and he's he's like always. He's moving, isn't he? Mm. I mean, literally moving. He's yeah. sort of. Not shaking, but... Jittery, just, yeah. But that's just the way he, I think he is. I think he's incapable, metaphorically and literally, of mm -hmm. standing still. Yeah. Gosh. So what, did you go via, like, Nebraska or something like that? Because that's quite a sort of Dylan-esque way in, um, or not. No, it was more the, the first two albums. Yeah. Um, particularly The Wild, The Innocent yeah. and The East Street Shuffle. I mean, I'd always liked Bob before that. And it was also other things like Living in America for a Year really got me into Bob because I was kind of understanding what he was singing about in so many of his songs kind of firsthand. Because I was, I was there the year Trump got in, so wow. listening to songs like Masters of War just took on a whole new meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... And also I think I looked at a blog that you wrote about <laughs> the tr your travelling in America. So you travelled, I think, primarily by bus? Yes. So that's very yeah. Bob, at least. Very... Yeah, 
It wasn't quite as, as romantic as I'd hoped it would be. It's brutal, isn't it's, it? I've, yeah. I've, 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 it's a bit more like Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, <laughs> even that looks kind of more pleasant. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, bus stations are... Yeah, I mean, it's great because it's kind of real, but it's, yeah, yeah it's definitely not the... The thing that you're you're listening into. Do you think that version of America still exists? Because I, I mean, I certainly was brought up on enough of this kind of music to believe that one day I'd like to drive across America either by bus or or by car or whatever. And latterly, I've sort of thought, not only am I never going to do that because I'm too old, and everyone in my life who wants to have done it has already done it. I also, I'm not sure that that America is there anymore. And I don't know whether that's just me convincing myself that it's not. I mean, did you find that it was a different America or? It's tricky because I was going with the intent of finding the, the, the version of America that I knew in, in Springsteen and Dylan. Simon and Garfunkel um, as well. Don't yeah. Them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I mean, you can I count the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike or whatever, <laughs> but then, then do you sort of think, well, that whole romantic notion of going coast to coast or whatever, in, I mean, in, in Trump's America, is that a different ethos? Does it exist? Is there room for it? There's definitely room for it. I think you have to be probably a bit of an optimist. Mm. But... I think a lot of the things in those songs are still there in just different forms. But there are definitely moments of when you just think this is bleak and yeah. there's no romance here. Mm. But then I think that, you know, um, there's like an interview with Springsteen, a really early one, and he says that in all the songs that he wrote in the 70s, before Darkness, it was, you know, romanticising his way out of the reality. Are you aware of uh, Dan Byrne? Who's, uh, he was one of our yes, guests. Um, yeah. uh, he um, wrote a song uh, on one of his recent albums, which would be kind of much more country than folk. And it's, uh, it's called uh, The Waffle House. And the, the chorus is, uh, Red State's got the Waffle House. The blue states don't. And <laughs> to him, that's a big difference in America. Yeah. Is uh, whether you got to, I mean, because that means working class, really. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, where you go for a big yeah. night out yeah, is the yeah. Waffle House. Yeah. Funnily enough, I'm just, I'm just telling Luke, I'm, I'm watching the second series of Fargo, the TV series. Oh, yeah. And there's this massacre at a Waffle House in the first scene. Um, I don't know if there's supposed to be a metaphor. <laughs> Or not, but uh, but I'm I'm from Canada, not not mm-hmm. America. So we I can look almost literally down. Or yeah. When I, yeah, yeah. You know, when I was growing up, and and was just thinking, God, I'm I'm kind of. They've got Springsteen, they've got Dylan, they've got Simon and Garfunkel, and they've got the Greyhound bus. But you know, it's it's not as romantic. No, mm. I think when I went there, I was thinking, oh, maybe I can figure out a way of moving here. And then by the end of the year, I was like quite glad to come back. I mean, even to, you know, Easy Rider. Is a, a romantic notion that ends with, you know, right wing guys with a shotgun. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty prescient. Yeah. And I mean, I th- the Kerouac version, the Chuck Berry version. I'm not sure they're there anymore. But I mean, you know, certainly Midnight Cowboy and Easy Rider saw the dark side of those trips yeah. Yeah. a long time For ago, sure. didn't they? Yeah. I mean, the music's still great. Yeah, there's still some fantastic music coming out of it. Yeah, but music comes mostly from uh, hardship and. Mm-hmm terror and conflict and mm. uh they've got that this is getting very dark right? <laughs> yeah 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 well you li- you and you lived in berkeley i did yeah so i studied at uc berkeley and actually i did a class called america song by song and that was you know that was great because it really did rinse any romanticism out of you know because you went from the really early folk stuff to like murder ballads and I, of, I sense the whiff of Grill Marcus here. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, no, he was my professor. That's amazing. Um, so he's, he taught yes, America song by song. He did, yeah. I sort of want to know what every single song well, was. Well, me too. How like, long give us some. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, it was a while ago. Um, there was a lot of Dylan, mm. obviously. And it's funny because it, it was actually a freshman class and I was in my third year of university at this point. I definitely shouldn't have been there, but mm. I kind of like wheedled my way in and was like sitting in the front row and all these like gum-chewing freshmen that didn't care and I was just so excited that Grill Marcus wow. was about to teach me. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, we did a whole week on um, Masters of War and that was wow. really intense. And then, yeah, Murder Ballads, Beyonce, Strange Fruit, mm-hmm. kind of all the... The ones that you would expect, yeah. but I mean, it was amazing, and I, as, particularly as a like British person, it was kind of very good for me to get rid of all my cliches and stupid notions about America. Well, there's no one better to teach that subject than Grill Marcus. Mm. I'm convinced it. It must have been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't that familiar with his writing before, and but then you know, so excited that he was there, and um, yeah, 
yeah, he was great. He wasn't he wasn't condescending or anything. He was very kind of you know a great lecturer. Yeah. How did so? How did it work? Did he deliver his lectures and? set papers and did, yeah. did you have a one-to-one chats at, at any point? Or? Yeah, so it was he was mostly lecturing um, and a lot of his lectures are based off things that he's written before. So he did a lecture on money, that's what I want, and money changes mm-hmm. everything, which was one of my favourite lectures. Yeah. It was just brilliant. But then he had office hours, so I kind of plucked up the courage and went and sat in his office and we just talked about Springsteen, actually. Really? <laughs> Really? For a while, and then he's quite selective about his spring scene, isn't he? He you know, like stolen car and things like that. Yeah, you know. he wrote, uh, he loves the kind of darkness era, and he mm-hmm. wrote. There's a in one of his books called I think it's called like In the Fascist Bathroom. He mm-hmm. wrote about hearing songs from darkness kind of played live on the radio for the first time. Mm. And then yeah, I wrote my end of year paper on racing in the street. Uh, speaking of uh, Bob and um, Bruce, I watched the interview with Stephen Colbert. Have you? seen that uh, yes. that came out yeah. when the latest album came out Did, do you remember Bruce's top three Dylan songs when he you I know forced him to choose the top three his top um, three Dylan songs I can remember two of them Go. very obvious ones I think uh, Like a Rolling Stone yeah Visions of Johanna yep Ring Them Bells yes whoa <laughs> you got that fantastic <laughs> and then I think he pressed because he, he put Visions of Johanna and Ring Them Bells sort of on the same mm. line in a way mm. so he gave him one more and then he just sort of said uh, all of John Wesley Hardy <laughs> I would love to hear Bruce Springsteen sing Ring Them Bells yeah oh I would love that I, I mean, that whole album, I hear so much Springsteen in that album. Yeah. When you think about when it came out, you know, it was like five years after Born in the USA. Yeah. Bob Shorty was listening, at least, or Daniel Anwar was listening. Well, no, I think so. And I think, I mean, backtracking, I think we've alluded to this on the podcast, and I've, I've read about it since then, that the use of Arthur Baker on Empire Burlesque was mm. definitely related to Arthur Baker's dance remixes of yeah, Born in the USA. Yeah, which I love. Yeah. yeah. Um, I only discovered those recently as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't think Um, I knew about them because I found one on YouTube and I thought, oh, this sort of rings a bell, but I'm not sure I ever sat down and listened to this. Yeah. But that's interesting that Dylan may have heard that and thought, he's selling some serious (laughs) records here. Maybe we'll get Arthur Baker. Maybe he'll sprinkle some uh, some 80s magic into my sound. And then it took him another five years to find the right producer, Mm -hmm. I guess. Did I'm I'm interested in those um, gum-chewing freshmen you were talking about. Just, (laughs) Just wondering if they... Why they were there, and if they if they were uh, hypnotized in a good way by Greel Marcus, eventually, if they sort of stopped chewing their gum, or <laughs> you know, why the hell were they there if they weren't? Um, know, I feel thrilled. a bit harsh calling them gum chewing freshmen. I'm sure it's not. <laughs> I actually think they were there because they had to be there. Um, I think it was like a required course for American studies, whereas uh-huh. I definitely should not have been there. <laughs> It's it's kind of tragic thinking of of him not having somebody mm. like you there, just mm. having yeah. Because it's his stuff is hard. I mean, it took me. It was Luke that actually got mm. me to appreciate Greil Marcus because I sometimes, you know, when it's in the written word, when the sentence goes on for like yeah. many yeah, many yeah. lines, maybe even a whole page. When I, I first when I first tried to read a Greil Marcus book, I just I think I threw it across the room. Mm. But once you sort of get into the mindset and you think, oh, I, he's going somewhere, where is he going? Yeah. Like, I have no idea where this is going. And ev- even when you think, when he's writing about Dylan and you think, but he's written, he's gone on for like three pages <laughs> and there's absolutely nothing about Dylan or a Dylan song or anything. But then yeah. you get used to it. You yeah. realize that that's how he, that's how he, in fact, I ended up, you know, that this Dylan book came out for his 80th birthday. Uh, one of the many, but it was it was the one that was uh, sanctioned by the Tulsa. Uh, Sean Latham's one. Sean Latham's one. Oh, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. And, and I read the Griot Marcus. I, I did the audiobook. Yeah. Uh, so I, I read many of them, but I, I said, I want the Griot Marcus. I bagged the Griot Marcus. <laughs> I'm going to do the Griot Marcus. And it was 10 times harder than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but it was absolutely worth it because you kind of, or I was able to get into, in a way, the way his brain works. Mm. But if you can't, like those people who are doing yeah. it for the wrong reasons, you, they must have been, that, that's not a good thing. Yeah, he is, I think he is, not everyone loves his writing and I think some people think it's a bit pretentious or, but I love it. I, he mm. doesn't write like any other music writer I know. And no. I think someone said of him, he gets as close to Bob's mind, mm. the, the closest to Bob's mind that, that anyone can. Mm. And it's this kind of, 
slightly sideways thinking and I just really enjoy his writing. I think some of it's harder than others, mm. but I think there's always a sense of humour to it as well and it's like almost like cattiness. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's quite yeah. bitchy, isn't he? Yeah, which I think is great. And key phrases, I, I will remember. I read Mystery Train when I just when I was into my twenties and just getting into Dylan and just getting into the band. And I love the fact that he was a guy who was uniting Elvis and and all the all the music that I loved. And I remember he wrote because this I think originally it was written in 1975, Mystery mm. Train. And so to end the story of Bob Dylan, it, it's, it's quite difficult to find a place to to end that chapter. And he was talking about the 74 tour, and I think he said. He, he, des- he described something in the 974 concert and he said, given the endings available, I choose this one. <laughs> and I just, that's such a great phrase because yeah. you, you could have to, any conversation about Bob Dylan, you have to pick your own ending. Yeah. Whilst touch with the man is still alive, you have to choose where it ends or doesn't. Yeah. And it's such a persuasive phrase, I thought. Yeah, he's very good at the turn of phrase and the, I mean, the, the famous obvious one is the self-portrait review, what is this shit, which... <laughs> I just, that phrase comes into my head, like, on a daily basis yeah. now, just in general yeah. life. Yeah, there's one, he reviews um, Blood on the Tracks. I can't remember where, but it's such a great review. And then the the last line is just, most of all, I really love the way he says Delacroix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is just, yeah. I wish yeah. there were more reviewers that wrote like that now. I so, know. Actually, somebody was talking to me about Delacroix recently. Mm. They'd been to Delacroix. And they said that Delacroix doesn't really exist. Like, Delacroix is, it's at the end of a dirt track. Mm. And it's basically a place where they uh, just keep boats, you know, for going out onto the bayou. So being just outside of Delacroix is absolutely impossible. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> it's not yeah. a thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's another wonderful little, you know, Bob yeah. Dylan joke yeah. just outside of Delacroix. Yeah. And where the hell is 56th and Wabashaw? Not a clue. I don't know. Kansas City, maybe? We'll have to, <laughs> somebody will have to go. Someone out there will know, yeah. So I, I was also looking at your old uh, Twitter feed or something, and at some point people were asked to list their top Bob Dylan songs. Mm-hmm. And your top one, it may not have been top, top, maybe it was just six Bob Dylan songs, Yeah. was uh, If You See Her, Say Hello. Oh, when was this? I think uh, this... Luke, I think you put me Oh, I don't know, I have a date on it. I, yeah, I stalked your Twitter feed for the last <laughs> couple of years <laughs> and found it. But anyway, any, any um, does that song still grab you or was... Oh, yeah, was... I mean, that's a... I mean, the whole that whole album, obviously, I could have picked that for my opening mm. lines. Funnily enough, that song was one I listened to a lot when I was doing my pretentious Greyhound trips. And, you know, there'd be like a sunset and I'd be thinking about, you know, I don't know every scene by heart, they all went by so fast and mm. just being the most unbearable person ever. <laughs> it's just kind of an example of, I love the way he's he manages to be kind of soft and emotional, but also really catty and mm. kind of mm. mean and just really, he kind of hones in on a an emotion that's so sharp and specific and mm. we all feel but nobody else can articulate and he just does it in a song and it's kind of almost uncomfortably right. It's like yeah. someone kind of putting, you know, those mirrors that kind of magnify your face. Yeah. It feels like that sometimes when you're listening to him. It's like, mm. oh God, I don't <laughs> this is too much. And every sound is so well chosen. I mean, excuse the, uh, the non-ex-drama students that listen to this, but I remember my voice teacher talking about plosive sounds at drama school and you know I think of a line like if you're making love to her kiss her for the kid mm-hmm. you know they're, they're quite just just that K sound is quite kind of confrontational yeah. and, and caustic isn't yeah, it yeah kind of just sharp yeah sorry I'm quoting from the wrong version of course the, the <laughs> New York version with the lyrics different but yeah I read a thing once uh, about that song where for some reason they thought it was set in Tangier they said this is a song about <laughs> Some old girlfriend of Bob Dylan's. Apparently, she's in Tangier. I thought, no, she might be, yeah. but the odds are, are that she's not. not. So I think you really got the entire. I could just all of a sudden you see the entire thing set in Tangier. That's just yeah. interesting, but wrong. Yeah, it's so funny when people try to take Bob Dylan literally. I mean, who? Yeah, that's does? Not, never, never a good idea. Never a good idea. But going back to the, what you were saying about the kind of delivery. Mm. Um, I nearly picked um, most of the time um, yeah. as an opening, mm. but I was trying to read it out loud, and it, you just can't read it. It's such a hard song to read mm. or recite. It only works if you're Bob Dylan singing it. Mm. 
And it's when you look at the lyrics, he's not even really saying anything. But then when he sings it, like that whole song is just, that really is kind of like one specific feeling yeah. made into a whole song. And he um, shrugs. He audibly shrugs, doesn't yeah. he? Like, most of the time. Yeah, it's you know, just a killer. It's fantastic. Um, my friend um, Alice, who is also a Bob fan, yeah. um, she always says that that song was like Bob listening to Leonard Cohen's um, Chelsea Hotel. Mm-hmm. And the last line when he says... I don't even think of her that often. And it's oh, like Bob yes. took the word that and made it into a whole song, which I just think is a great... The aircon is up very high in here, but I have got chills from just <laughs> you saying that. Yeah, that's absolutely on the money. Yeah, it is difficult to recite Bob Dylan, in certainly in particular songs, because, mm. of course, his sense of timing and beat and meter mm. is just kind of... It's so unique yeah. to him. Who else can... But, yeah. but it is it is uh, terrific. I, I read, uh, speaking of... Um, if you see her say hello, I think it was Clinton Halen, who we don't mention all that often mm. on this show, but sometimes he comes up, who said it was like the ink was wet with last night's tears mm. when he, he said, I think, about that. Uh, which is ver- uh, very good, because yeah. a lot of the times he says, that was shit. He yeah. doesn't, <laughs> he's, it, sometimes it seems like he doesn't even like Bob Dylan. Yeah. But the, the, the next song that you mentioned in that tweet was uh, Hurricane. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything to... To say to about um, yeah, so the first... I have a very specific memory of the first time I heard that song. Um, and I was in a coffee shop in LA. Again, pretentious. And the barista was putting on a record and he put on Desire. And I, I hadn't even heard of Desire somehow. And I was there to kind of do some writing and do some work. And I just got nothing done. And I was like, what is this? Huh, wow. Just... Wow. I think what's amazing about particularly that song, it's like it still blows your mind. Mm. Like, it sounds so fresh to my ears. I was, like, what, 25 then? And, mm. yeah. Yeah, um, you can't do anything with that album playing in the background. It's too arresting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's just... It was like nothing else I'd heard. Well, it's like somebody playing a movie, basically, isn't it? Yeah. In, in your head. Mm. Yeah. And you're just, yeah, caught up in the story and the, the sound of that. I can't remember if... I guess, like most people, when it came out, you, you wouldn't have known who Hurricane was, mm. and presumably you I had didn't. no idea, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in a way, that's what the first thing you, I guess, get out of that song is like, this is the story of the hurricane, but what is the hurricane? <laughs> yeah. Who is the hurricane? What the hell yeah. is the hurricane? Well, I mean, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who Joey Gallo was. I only just this year have watched that fantastic documentary series on Apple TV all about 1971 and now do I know a little bit more about George Jackson mm. but you know I've been listening to that song my whole life and not really known the story George Jackson of course was kind of was well known in America yeah. so mm. those of us who knew who he was mm. knew about that but I don't think uh, I certainly hadn't heard because the thing about the hurricane is he wasn't the number one contender for the middleweight crown. He was never the number one mm. contender for the middleweight crown. Mm. I think very briefly he was the number three contender. <laughs> no, ser- quite seriously, it sounds like it's a not, joke. It's not a great lyric, is it? <laughs> number three, He's number three contender. Briefly. <laughs> but uh, then, then I think he, f- you know, he fought the guy who was the champion who actually, mm. you know, beat him quite severely. Yeah. And then that was it. You know, his mm. his career was on the slide, which is probably why he was you know, riding around with his friends, yeah, doing whatever he, yeah, he was yeah. doing. But that's much more Dylan's purpose, isn't it? He's not, he's not really, with very few exceptions, taking someone's life and telling their story verbatim. He'd much rather take a bit of someone's life and say, that suits me, and I'll nick that from mm-hmm. there, and I'll add this, and that'll make the story. Yeah, absolutely. I think he got, I mean, if I recall, he collated and twisted lots of facts, but I, I think Patty Valentine actually sued Oh, really? Because she, yeah. I think, wasn't there. Well, the original... Or something like that. It was mm. some, it was, he'd taken a huge liberty. The original version of the song, which is still, to this day, unreleased, was recorded in that, that night that Rob Stoner talked about when they recorded virtually the whole album in one night mm. with Emily Harris, who is not on the, the version on the album. And they had mm. to re-record that song because of some lyrical changes Things like, I was only robbing the bodies, I hope you understand, and all, you know, things like that. <laughs> it became robbing the register because the lawyers got in touch and said, yeah, no, no, you know, you're not putting that out on a song. So I don't know if the Paddy Valentine content is in that original version. I, can't I think there was eventually, no, I mean, I, I think there was a lawsuit. I think maybe they didn't even realise it at the time. Right. I, I think it was, uh, there was a lawsuit and I think she got paid off. 
Mm. And immortalized mm. yeah, right. at the same time. I always wondered if it was some Irish guy named Patty <laughs> Valentine. It, it, no, it was some years later that I thought, oh, okay. It was, it was like, <laughs> Misfit. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got Like a Rolling Stone on that list, obviously. I don't mm. know if, do you have anything more to say about Like a Rolling Stone that hasn't been said? I was interested that, to my knowledge, nobody has picked that song to open with. You're absolutely right. You're right. No, we yeah. discussed that once because I think yeah. people are Which too is, frightened of it. I, I was, yeah, I, I, I toyed with the idea. Um, I mean, it's, I love that song, obviously. Mm. Um, and I think it spoke to such a specific moment, but I think now it can, for me anyway, it's just about that feeling of, because I, I started listening to it when I was in my teens and um, that feeling of knowing that you maybe want a slightly different life from what you see around you and mm. it means kind of dismantling everything you know and just going out by yourself and and it's that kind of frightening void that you're yeah. staring into and I think that's kind of you know that's eternal that, mm. that song will always speak to that even though it was such a a very important moment I'm very fond of the um or at least I used to be the, the the live version on Before the Flood based entirely on a film called New York Stories you ever seen that no. it's a it was made in the early 90s and it was a triptych, really. Of They got three directors to tell three different stories, all set in New York and utterly unconnected. The first is called Life's Lessons with um, Nick Nolte. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. Then there's one called Life Without Zoe, which is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, I believe it's pronounced. And the third one is Oedipus Rex by Woody Allen. And it was put out in the late 80s, early 90s. But in Life Lessons, Nick Nolte plays this abstract painter and he paints with very loud music on in his impossibly hip New York apartment while Rosanna Arquette walks in and out you know, of his life. And he's painting to that live version of Like a Rolling Stone at one point. These big brush strokes, you know, and it just sounded better than it ever sounded. Mm. I must go back to it. That's a really good film, actually. Not the middle bit, but the... No, the Coppola one. Yeah. The Coppola one is, is, is very bad. But, so the other uh, two are fantastic, yeah. yeah. And the next one, or maybe the last one you chose, was... Lady Delay on that list. Mm-hmm. These are all very much songs that were like, yeah, my coming to Bob songs. Mm. That was a, a really early track, like childhood. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the first first songs I remember because Nashville Skyline was something that one of the, the albums that my parents loved. But yeah, I remember really liking that song as a child, which is kind of slightly concerning given the, <laughs> <laughs> the subject matter. But it, you can listen to it as a child. I think there's kind of images in it that are very child-friendly or, you know, have your cake and eat it too and you just think, yeah. oh, cake. And I think at the time I'd seen the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks right. and kind of conflated the two things in my head, which was the what? film... There's a film about a brass bed that flies through the sky. Oh. Um, so... Yeah, Bob Dylan on a brass bed flying through the sky. It's quite the image. But. Well, it can... I mean, the Everly Brothers thought it was about lesbian love. Oh. Uh, which is because apparently he asked them to record it and they, they thought it was lay upon my breast. <laughs> breast, breast. Breast. Or something. They thought it was something to do with yeah. ladies lying on each other's breasts. Yeah. So, so literally, I'm not making that mm. up. They, they mm. didn't want... So they turned it down at the time, and then and then did it in 1985 instead, or 84, or whenever they recorded it. Yeah, a little little late, a bit, a bit late. Yeah, bless them. But I I remember uh, reading about you know the the odd combination of uh, bongos and mm. cowbell mm. that they've got, you know, which is mm-hmm. so it kind of makes the song. And I I read somewhere that um, that Kenny Butchery, the the drummer, didn't couldn't get a handle on the beat, mm. and said to Bob in the studio and we've had Charlie McCoy on the show yeah. Bob does not respond you know when you say can you help me out here Bob but uh, he thought he said he said Bob do you have any idea you know what kind of drumming do you want what kind of percussion do you and he, he thought Bob said bongos <laughs> he wasn't sure but he said bongos did he say bongos 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 so he sent Chris Christopherson out for some bongos because he was the guy, you know, who did stuff like that. And that's how they ended up getting wow. bongos. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if he really did say yeah. bongos, but maybe he did, you know. I mean, who... Well, he liked them. If he didn't, he liked them anyway. So. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I could never... I couldn't figure out for years before, I guess, the internet and stuff. I, I thought, what is that? I couldn't even figure out what that... Yeah, Percussion I mean, that's, that's still a problem now. I, sometimes I'm reviewing albums and I'm like, this 
thing sounds really great and I have no idea what instrument it is because I don't have any musical background as a, a player, just as a listener. So, yeah, that's still problematic even now. Yeah, um, well, how are we to know? Yeah, I mean, it's... That's the way it should be, though, isn't it? Don't you think? I mean, I yeah. think to, to review something, you should you don't need to be an expert in the nuts and bolts of it. You just need to know what you think and be able to express yeah. it well, shouldn't and we? what the sound, how the sound makes you feel. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, did you when you were taking this Griot Marcus course, or indeed your English degree, did you know that you wanted to write about music back then? No, not at all. Oh. I did, a, like, a liberal arts degree, and I thought I would stay in academia because it was safe and easy mm. and got to the end of my undergrad and was like, I never want to do any of this again. Mm. <laughs> and taking that class was one of the things where I thought, oh, maybe I could do something else, like, you know, maybe write about music or at least do something in, that's to do with music. Mm. I didn't realise that you could write about music in that way that Grill Marcus writes that's kind of maybe slightly academic but not kind of impenetrable. So, yeah, and then just graduated and kind of started doing all kinds of things in the music industry and building up to reviewing. Have you ever gotten in trouble with any of your reviews, with any of the people you've reviewed, just as a matter of interest? No, not really. You sometimes get a PR, you know, you ask political questions and then the PR will message you afterwards saying, cut all that, which is always a shame. But yeah, I've never... I've never got into sticky waters with anyone. I've been mm. quite lucky. I've interviewed quite nice people as well. So, mm. Of course, back in the day, they didn't have PRs, really, did yeah. they? Yeah, oh, God. Yeah, what a dream. Hung <laughs> with, with them for a while, but that's, yeah, that'll, that'll never happen again. Mm. I think the last thing on this list of six, oh, no, there's actually one more after that, that you listed, and I don't, don't know when that tweet was. No idea. But I can't remember. it was, um, I want you. Mm. So who wouldn't love that song? But I yeah, mean, what's it's, that's a beautiful song. Mm. Um, I actually the first time I heard that was the Bruce Springsteen covered it in a like a, there's like a bootleg of a concert he did in like '74 or something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's it? pre-born to run because he sings this version of Thunder Road and it's like Angelina's dress waves and you're like, who's Angelina? <laughs> 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 I didn't realize it was a Bob song. I think for a while and Bruce's cover is great. But um, mm. yeah, that's just such a beautiful song. I'm trying yeah. to picture Bruce singing it. I mean, does he? He doesn't rock it out or anything, does he? Is, is it sort um, of acoustic or? No, I think it's fairly lively. Oh. Um, this was like his skinny jumping around days as well. Um, years, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so he didn't really stand the... still at that point. No. Yeah. yeah, that. I mean, that's like one of the few times I don't find Bob particularly romantic or attractive but mm. that's one of the few songs where I'm like yeah I could be persuaded by you just some of the the phrasing is just so lovely it's yeah it's irresistible really mm. just the phrase I want you for you know a, not pop but a, a song a popular song mm. back then was you know pretty breathtaking yeah it's quite bold really it's pretty bold you know Sinatra or whatever would sing fly me to the moon yeah. or whatever but <laughs> I want you mm, it's, <laughs> so bad. Yeah, yeah it's about yeah. as dirty as yeah. you know, it gets. Yeah. I've always been interested in the in the kind of the path that goes from I want you to then calling an album Desire, and then in, then even PJ Harvey, who's a big Dylan fan, releasing an album called Is This Desire? Mm, yeah, you know, and, and the different levels that works on. And the the last song was uh, Don't Think Twice. Mm. I mean, come on, like that's oh, yeah. just. I think if you've ever been through a breakup or any any kind of loss that's where you're feeling slightly bitter, that's like the best song to listen to. Do you remember where you um, first heard that, like in the same way that you remember Desire? No, not not, not as specifically. Um, it was definitely more in my 20s when I think I was old enough to understand that kind of emotion. And just, you know, you just wasted, my, you kind of wasted my precious time. It's just, it's a great line if you've been mucked around by somebody. I think maybe even Dylan isn't aware how much that sentiment speaks to people in their 20s. I, yeah. I was uh, one of my children, when I was redecorating their bedroom, I found those lyrics written on the wall, and I thought, that's fantastic <laughs> wow. that those lyrics spoke to you. you know? Yeah, that's good parenting as well, I think. Well, I, I mean, you know, I wish I could take that credit, but there's, there's no way either my children would listen to music, you know, that I'd uh, advocated them, or the other, the other way around, you know, they'd run away from anything. Mm. But somehow they discovered that by themselves and, and put it on mm. their wall and I thought oh that's, that's good but I th as I say I think it's it's testament and to what you said as well that that, that lyric really really speaks to, to young people yeah, now it's, yeah it's, it's kind of timeless and just bang on the money really yeah. 
Well, he sort of says a lot of things that you wish you'd said at yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah. But you could have done better, I find, the, yeah. the most awful, yeah. bitter. You know, that's, mm-hmm. to me, that, that that's the real gloves off. Yeah, yeah. Like, on a, I've been rating you, and actually, I'll give you a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, I, you just kind of wasted my precious yeah. time. It's like, I can't even be bothered to get yeah. angry about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't care that yeah. much. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if we, because we don't, we don't get a lot of female Dylan fans no, on here. And we, we try, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of times people are, you know, just a bit insecure, or maybe they're, most of the time they just don't like Bob. But um, I think, I'm not sure if we've asked, if I've asked anybody this before, but I think a possibly problematic song is uh, Just Like a Woman. Yeah. It's interesting to ask you about that. Do you find it problematic or how do you? I do. I think definitely as I get older, more <laughs> more woman than girl. Um mm-hmm. And, yeah, the more I see of the world and of how men behave. And then, you know, when I was younger, I was listening to all these songs with very kind of wide eyes and, you know, wanting to believe in all the romance. And, yeah, as you get older and you just see that there's another side to the song that's not so pleasant. Mm. And um, I think, yeah, the older I get, the harder I find to listen to some of his stuff. And I don't know if I'll kind of come back the other way as I get even older. I'm trying to think of other songs that I find. Well, some um, yeah, critics have, have drawn a line between that and you're a big girl now. Mm. You know, the the, the the little girl, big girl thing. Yeah. And yeah, I think little girl is just quite a problematic phrase. And yeah. it, it comes up a lot in Springsteen songs as well. And mm-hmm. I was too kind of enamoured with him to notice it. And now I, when I hear it, I kind of wince. And yeah. I think it's, you know, it's something of its time. I don't think it means that. But maybe it's also because those guys go quite deep because the Beatles use that phrase mm. a lot. Well, so did the Stones. And I, th- I think mm. it depends, you know, the Beatles would not sing it with menace generally, mm. but whereas, you know, Bob and even yeah. Bruce might, you know, because yeah. because they tend to go deep. They tend to go deeper. It also goes back to Chuck Berry, doesn't it? You're, you're either saying, you know, she's too cute to be a minute over 17, which mm. is, you know, yeah. a little bit problematic, it's... or it's talking to a fully grown woman as if she's that young. And they're mm. both as arguably as yeah, bad as each other, not, aren't they? Yeah. But I'm not maybe as critical a, a listener as I should be. I think I don't always see... When I hit, listen to Bob, I don't listen to the songs from the woman's perspective. I'm always wanting to be Bob more mm. than... And kind of sympathising with him, even at his worst and his most bitter. I think we all have those moments. Mm. Um, and, I, yeah, I don't tend to put myself in the shoes of, of the women that he's kind of being mean to. And I think probably I should probably listen from that perspective a bit more. On the other hand, Bob is mean to men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he's certainly in his... Before the uh, he went back to Woodstock and mm. settled down with Sarah, you know, he's mean to everybody. Yeah. He, he got more and more mean. You know, he was he was just notorious. He, well, there's documentary evidence. Yeah. You can see him being mean to yeah. people. But then again, yeah, if he wasn't, then he wouldn't be Bob yeah. Dylan. And I think that meanness is quite, you know, it speaks to to me as a woman in a strange way. It's like this kind of bitter, like, resentment I feel sometimes as being a woman in a kind of, you know, man's world and just feeling that kind of, yeah, really bitter just wanting to be mean to everyone because you're feeling that way. So, yeah, it does speak to me in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think probably us Bob fans kind of want to be Bob in a Mm. way, you know, when we never will be, we can't be. And romantically, you'd sort of like to be able to be in touch with that much art. And But in the, the, the more I think about Bob and I think about Bob a lot now <laughs> the less I want to be Bob mm. uh, because and especially the well uh, this may lead us to rough and rowdy mm-hmm. ways um, because you know he's been god his journey has just been so long and grueling yeah. and uh, I mean I'm I'm glad that he's sort of ended up where he is on rough and rowdy ways but I think there's there's some there's a lyric actually I, I wrote down here because I was listening to it the other day. Um, I hope that the gods go easy mm, with me. Yeah, I find that sort of 
frightening, but also, you know, really, um, it's sort of sweet because yeah. you, it reminds you that Bob Dylan's a human being because I, I forget. Yeah. You know, that he, when he was being mean to people, he was still being a human being. Yeah. And I hope the gods go easy with me. I just find we all kind of yeah. think that. And it sort of makes Bob less of a god to me and more yeah, of a human. It, it, you kind of see a vulnerability there, I think. Mm. And you forget that he is, you know, not just a human, but a really old human. <laughs> like yeah. he's really staring down the barrel of, mm. of death now. And even though it kind of feels like he has been for a long time, you know, the last maybe since time out of mind, I guess, mm-hmm. which was like 30 years ago almost. Mm. But yeah, I think there's a kind of sadness to that as well, that line. And I think all of Rough and Rowdy Ways is so... It's kind of one of the first times that we hear from someone who's that it's about ageing rather than, you know, mortality is something he's sung about for a long time and it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's always been around in, in pop music. It's You've got people like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin dying these kind of tragic mythic deaths. Mm. There's always been like a sense of mortality, but it's the first time that there's been a sense of age in because, you know, yeah. the music is only this old, so it's... And also because those musicians carried on, we got lulled into this full sense of security that they were just going to carry on. Yeah. And as we're recording, it's been, what, a month or six weeks since the death of Charlie Watts, and suddenly the obvious conclusion that people over 80 are going to die is staring us in the face. And you're thinking, yeah. shit, in the next 10 years... Oh, don't. We're going to be... I yeah. mean, McCartney, Brown Wilson, Bob Dylan, yeah. you know, all the members of all those bands in the 60s that seem to go on forever are going to prove to be mortal yeah. in the most obvious and predictable way fashionable, and yet still it's somehow shocking. Yeah. And in the same... You know, this week, as we're recording, Bob Dylan has just announced another three years of concerts. <laughs> Yeah. No. I was I was kind of surprised by the. Does he normally put like an end date on his tour? No. Yeah. So no. is that him saying? That, yeah, I'm going to die in the yeah, final that's, tour. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also, it. I mean, didn't call it this, but the poster makes it look like the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour, which mm. which is not the Never Ending tour. No. You know, maybe that's yeah. well. I think he said that ended in about 1990, didn't yeah. he? But I hope he brings that band from the Shadow Kingdom. Shadow Kingdom. Yeah. Because I, I, I thought they were great. I don't know if you if you saw that, but. No. It was a very, a very young band. It wasn't as usual old grizzled veterans mm-hmm. and quite acoustic. Uh, if indeed they were the ones playing, I mean, we, we don't, we don't well, know. They were the ones I, performing. Somebody told me that they knew the bass player, the, the mm. woman who was playing bass. I can't remember. Somebody I think we were in touch with about yeah, the podcast and that they're an existing band and... He, he said, you know, I know the bass player. She is a bass player for this band. It was that band playing with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, you're looking sceptical. Well, I just, I believe <laughs> they're a band and I believe skeptical. they are miming to music that somebody has recorded. But what I don't know is who recorded that music. It could be them. It could be other musicians. You well, know. I'm, just, I'm just hoping. Yeah. I'm, mm. I'm putting my vote in for, yeah. for those guys because actually it's great. I mean, it's a great Great yeah, band. It yeah. sounds fabulous. Well, I am, I mean, as we alluded to before we started recording, I am, after 18 months of lockdown, the, the two people I thought I would never see in concert again and absolutely dying to see in concert again are Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, you'd sworn off with Dylan. And I, yeah. I, yeah I'm, I was at I'm, least yeah. two concerts beyond never seeing him. <laughs> you know. Well, I've never seen him. Oh, really? um, and. It was the pandemic. I, th- I feel like the pandemic made us all think of all the things that we really did want to do with our lives mm, because we yeah. suddenly couldn't do anything. And for me, it was, you've got to see Bob Dylan. Let's hope he doesn't get COVID and you can see him when this is all over. But yeah. I know I have you know, I have no expectations. I just want to be in the room with him well, while he's still here. Hopefully every um, chance if, if between now and yeah. 2024. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an international <laughs> tour, the dates they've committed to, isn't it? Just hope it's not Wembley Arena or... The mm, O2. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it, is, it doesn't matter, actually. I'm going to go see him at whatever shitty venue yeah, me too. he plays. Mm. It will be interesting to see him play off. Like, this must be the longest break he's ever taken from yeah. touring. Yeah. I wonder if that's had any impact on... Well, that was the thing about Shadow Kingdom. The sound of his voice, that was a, you know, it was a voice who'd had a year plus off. Mm. So it was better. Yeah, much better. Oh, I mean, mm. he, had, he had some range. Um, going back to um, you mentioned Charlie Watts, mm. and when he when he sadly died, somebody tweeted about how 
the Stones have always defined what it means to be young, yeah. you know, even up to their their 70s and maybe slightly ridiculously. But I think what Bob's doing is kind of defining what it means to be old, particularly on Rough and Rowdy Ways. I think there's a kind of sense of an old guy just wandering around, you know, reflecting on, you know, 80 years of any life is amazing, but 80 years of Bob's life is just like, I can't even begin to comprehend that. Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Lazarus Suite back home at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Mark Langley-Smith and produced by Robin Guys. Music is by Sam Hare. We're part of Pantheon Podcasts, the music podcast network. Find us on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. I want to be with you in paradise. And it seems so unfair. I can't go back to paradise no more. I killed a man back there. You think I'm over the hill? Think I'm past my prime? Let me see what you got. We can have a whomping good time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.